Welcome to Messy Life Podcast. You know, life is messy, but it's in our mess that we find our message. And just because your life is messy, it doesn't mean you're messed up. We want to open up our lives. We want to open up our mess. We want to open up what we've learned through really painful, dark journeys. And our hope on the other end of this podcast, on the other end of Messy Life, is that you would find courage and strength and laughter and joy in the midst of your journey, that you would know that you are not in this alone and that you are stronger than you ever thought you were. So let's get messy. Welcome to our seventh episode of Messy Life Podcast. We are going to kick off this podcast um, first and foremost by thanking all of our listeners. You guys have been absolutely incredible. You guys are awesome. (laughs) Tuning in, you've listened, you've shared, um, and hopefully you've grown a lot from our podcast. Thank you so much for all your feedback, for rating, for reviewing, for messaging us, for just um, just sharing with us what God is doing in your heart and your life through this journey of our messy life podcast. And so tonight, our seventh episode, I guess I shouldn't say tonight, I should say today, but, um, our seventh episode of messy life podcast, we are going to be talking about something super cool, something that we have to battle on a continual basis. I feel like more so I felt like maybe 10 or so years ago, but I think even now it's something that creeps up in your life, in your marriage, in your relationships. It's messy. Um, And so we're going to talk about inner vows, agreements that we make with defeat, agreements that we make with our own self-doubt. Really, I mean, essentially, I believe it's agreements that we make with the enemy, right? Um, Our insecurities, just agreements that we make, inner vows that we make that slightly change the trajectory. Did I say that right? Absolutely. <laughs> I always get words wrong and then Joel has to correct me. And I always say it's because I'm from Texas. But but you do have a history. <laughs> Texans have a history of making up the most incredible words. Yeah. We have George Bush to thank for that. I mean, a lot of strategy went into that. <laughs> so anyways, I get my words wrong sometimes and Joel so graciously corrects me. Um, so forgive me if I get my words wrong every once in a while. But anyway, you make an inner vow and it slightly shifts the trajectory of your life And before you know it, that slight shift, that slight right turn has gotten you really far off course. You don't even realize it, but if you chase it back to its root, it was a little inner vow or a little agreement that you made with that defeat or that doubt or the enemy that just got you off course. So we're going to expose that a little bit tonight, talk a little bit more about that and share our personal journeys through working through that and some of the things we're still to this day working through. Yeah, you know, Leonardo da Vinci, he said that when hope dies, we begin to make vows. It's a powerful concept that whenever hope begins to die or we have a traumatic moment in our life, we begin to make these inner vows. Yeah, so good. So I wanted to share just uh, an inner vow that I made that 
you know, you got to do your work through life and you discover these vows that you made at certain moments. Usually you don't even know that you're making them, Yeah. but you begin to live your life. I love how you identified that really quickly, not to interrupt, but, um, I interrupt sometimes. I'm really bad about that. I need to work on that, <laughs> but not to interrupt you, but I love that you said you got to do your work. And I think if I can just interject really quick before we kick off into intervals. Really what this means is it's doing your work. Ayanla Van Zandt, ah, I love her so much. She'll always say, you got to do your work. I did my work. You know, her Glennon Doyle says it too. She's like, her therapist tells her, you got to do your work, Glennon, do your work. <laughs> but that's really what it is. We've got to dive in there into the ugly, dark places and chase down those roots of where they first, you know, planted, where they first took root. Really what that means is it's doing your internal work. It's, um, if I can like lean into it a little bit, it's getting yourself in a quiet place, maybe your closet, maybe your office, maybe a coffee shop, opening up the word of God or turning on a great worship music song. Opening up your journal. Opening up your journal giving the Lord space, giving God space to go there with you, right? Mm -hmm. That's doing your work. Or, um, gosh, I feel like I'm getting on on a tangent. Is this okay? Hey, you just roll. (laughs) Um, Or sometimes it's a trigger and you got to chase the trigger down. Totally. And you realize that it roots back to an inner vow that you made that has led to something bigger. And so that's doing your work, right? It's chasing down that trigger. It's chasing down that. Yeah. And I think when you're saying trigger, I think anytime that you have uh, an emotional overreaction to something. Oh yeah, that's good. Like where someone says something to you and the reaction to that should be one one way, yeah. but it's really much better a bigger emotional response happens to that. There is a vow that you need to begin to chase down. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So if you're experiencing that or if you have a friend who's like, I mean, is there, if there's a subject where they just won't go there or when you do begin to go there, they begin to get, um, they have this emotional reaction. There may be a vow that they have made in their life. And it's not like something we bring up every day, but it happens usually during a traumatic experience in our life. We make this resolution in our mind and then we don't even remember doing it and we begin to live out our life according to this vow. Yeah, so good. Um, It's interesting. I I had a counseling appointment this week with the infamous Sharon, who I love so dearly. We love Sharon. She's our counselor. So I had my counseling appointment with Sharon. They're my favorite times I meet with Sharon. I used to meet with Sharon every two weeks, but I've graduated to every three weeks. It means you're getting healthier, potentially. I know. When Sharon allows you to like go longer, it just means she feels that. It, I don't know. It's like a sense of pride. Like Joel, he's graduated. Like Sharon just feels like he's good. He doesn't need counseling anymore. But for the time being, I probably will. Um, <laughs> I'm writing a book right now, and I've been writing the rough draft in the last 30 days. And sometimes I act insane because it's such an arduous task. I may need to go back into counseling. You 
Yeah, I'm going to skip over that. I, I know, <laughs> I know you're a little salty about that, but that's we're, we're working through That's for another day. But anyway. Um, Sorry, so I, I'm an Enneagram 3. I'm an achiever, and sometimes um, the project or the big thing takes place or precedent over the most important people in my life. And so my beautiful <laughs> wife checks me, and I receive that check and contemplate that check and adjust as we go, <laughs> as we talk it through and, and talk yeah, talk about it. But that would be a podcast for another day. Yeah, I'm, we're, we're kind of going there, but we, we don't need to go there tonight. <laughs> so Sharon, I was meeting with Sharon the other night, and um, I love how you talk about triggers and chasing down the root and chasing down agreement. So I was talking to Sharon, and um, I do not like to disappoint people at all. And I will um, go to tireless lengths to avoid disappointing people. Um, And so I was evaluating that with Sharon, like to the point where my anxiety will spike. Can I just mention we are up incredibly late tonight because you are doing a project for someone (laughs) because you don't want to disappoint. It's not because I don't want to disappoint them. It's because I love them and I, it's like such a joy and an honor to serve them. I'm a two. Enneagram Enneagram 2. I'm a helper, so I will be the first to sign up to do things. But it's because I really love this person, and it's just such a joy and an honor to bless them back. They give so much, and so if there's a little thing I can do to give back to them, it's really a joy and an honor. But we are up late because I'm doing a project for somebody else, but not because I don't want to disappoint them. That's not why. Um, But I, anyway, back to Sharon. Sorry about um, that. That's a little bit of a rabbit trail. <laughs> we can edit that part out. Um, we can edit that part out of the podcast. Maybe not. But anyway, um, I was talking to Sharon about how I've dis- I felt like I've disappointed a lot of people lately. And man, it's just plagued me with severe anxiety. I've lost about seven pounds. Seriously. Um, and I think it's because I've been so anxious about disappointing people and, um, and you know, Sharon, she's so awesome because I will like meditate on this. Like, why is this so hard for me? And I'll cry and I'll feel so anxious and I'll, you know, go all day without eating. Cause I feel so anxious and I'm like, why do I feel so anxious? And so I get on the phone with why Sharon. Why do I eat when I feel anxious? I go opposite. I- I, I don't eat when I feel anxious, um, but then I pass out and bust my head open and have a concussion and need seven staples in my head. Can Not that that's ever happened before. Because <laughs> it has. <laughs> but can we edit that part out? That's like too much to share. Um, but anyway, I was talking to Sharon and she was like, I was like, Sharon, I don't know why disappointing people plagues me so deeply. And she said, well, it's because you're afraid that they're going to reject you which Mm. is your ultimate fear. Mm. And okay, of course I'm like on FaceTime with Sharon and tears just well up in my eyes. Like, but it's not just that I'm afraid they're going to reject me. I'm afraid they're going to leave my life for good. Oh my God. See, I'm tearing up. I need Sharon. Um, but that's really what it is. I'm afraid they're going to leave my life forever and that I've invested in somebody and I love them and I've let them in. And I'm going to disappoint them. 
and then they're going to reject me, but their rejection means they leave my life. Hmm. And um, it's the ultimate pain for me, but really what that means is I have to push the pause button and do my work, and I have to chase down that rabbit trail of why do I feel like when I disappoint people, they're going to reject me and they're going to leave me. Mm-hmm. And I know why, but that's for another podcast. <laughs> but I say all that to say it's a trigger. It triggered me. The anxiety was so severe. It triggered me. And I had to chase it down and realize that it led to an agreement that I made when I was like 14 years old. Mm-hmm. I remember the exact moment that I made a vow, I made an inner vow that I had done something wrong and it caused the people I love the most to leave me in my life. So I made that inner vow of like, forget yourself. Wow. Like, who cares what's good for you? Mm -hmm. Do what's best for other people because as long as you do what's best for other people, they'll keep you around. They won't reject you. They won't Mm -hmm. push you out of their Mm -hmm. life. And I, it's interesting, like... Through the course of time, I've built up this, this wall where I don't let a lot of people in. And it's surprising you'd never know that about me because I'm very warm and friendly and, and gregarious and, and I kind. and kind, you know, and I have a lot of people around me. But the people that are really in my life that really hold a deep place in my heart are few and far between. You know what I mean? It's it's just interesting. And I think it's because I've made that inner vow of don't let people super close in because they'll leave you and they'll abandon you and they'll let you go. And it, it hurts really deeply, you know? Um, and then the people that I do let in, gosh, I hold them so near and dear. I really fight for their, um, I love them very dearly, but those are the people that I really fear disappointing. So. Wow. That's huge. Girl, high five. You did your work. (laughs) I did my work. Oh my God, can we stop talking about me now? (laughs) This podcast wasn't supposed to be about me. I said, Joel, I talked most of the time in all the other podcasts. This is your turn. (laughs) And then I like dominate the first, what, 20 minutes of the podcast? (laughs) I'll edit that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, well... I, I know I've made an inner vow. Yeah. Um, Let's hear about yours. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, honestly, there are times in my life when um, I'm journaling or I'm um, having a quiet time or, or, you know, in my reading my Bible or, and I'm trying to, I'm, I'm having some quiet space and a memory will come up in my mind every once in a while that I haven't maybe thought about. I don't know, in decades. Um, And it's in those thoughts that I usually, instead of just being like, oh, well, I hadn't thought about that in a while and moving on, it's usually in those moments that I have to say, if I want, I have to say, okay, let's go there. Like, let's walk down this road. And there are two, two incidences that have happened one was a in I don't know maybe like five or six years ago, and the other one has been actually more recent in the next few in the last few years, um, but I, I've discovered through these situations that I created some inner vows. Um, if you've heard you know me talking episode two about kind of my past and my beginning, um, 
just some of the the things I walked through. You know, I grew up a single parent household and my dad left and my mom got divorced when I was about 14 months. But um, my dad would make another big, um, really leaving moment when I was about eight years old, seven or eight. And uh, he, w- I grew up in California and um, he was choosing to move to Virginia. And I, I'll never forget it. I grew up on a, in a yellow house uh, on Redwood Avenue in Redwood City, California. And we were right outside of my house. And we were right behind his truck where he was parked out in front of my house. I remember it was a black uh, Toyota. And um, he was there talking to my older brother and I about leaving and moving to Virginia. Now, I wasn't old enough to experience my dad leaving the first time. The only kind of picture that had been painted for me was that my brother was four at the time when my dad left, and he was at a window pane crying watching his dad leave. For me, I, I didn't have any emotion associated with that at being, you know, just one years old. This time, though, I was old enough to experience him leaving. And in the moment of that whole transition, my brother was crying. He was upset. He was very emotional. But me, on the other hand, I was not. I, um, I often don't show my emotions right away. I often internalize it and then kind of move away in the future and kind of dissect it, kind of lick my wounds, if you will, or heal myself privately. And so I remember him getting in this truck after he said goodbye and driving away. Mm. And I think something for me shifted Um, something died. It wasn't the death of his physicality because he would come and see me every, I don't know, six months, you know, he'd come by. So it wasn't like he was all in my life all the time. But now there was a hope that died that maybe in the future that I could have a father who would um, be proud of me, who would be um, someone I could lean on his strength someone who would be present. And with him moving to Virginia, that possibility of things changing for the future. And just like Leonardo da Vinci said, when hope dies, we make vows. Yeah, so good. And so at that moment, I felt abandoned. Yeah. I I, I wouldn't have put it in those words back then, but as I've looked at it, I I felt abandoned. Yeah. Um, Now, I had a really great mom and she was a a Christian mom and a believer and she was really involved in my life. And I, my dad really wasn't around that much. So I don't think that that vow really took root. I think I had it. I think the death of, of having my biological father in my life, like that hope was dying. Yeah. And so I, I knew I would have to, and I don't know if I could have put it into these words then, but I was going to have to teach myself how to be a man without a man in the home. Yeah. And so that is a frightening thing for a boy to even have to, you know, to figure out, right? That's a huge burden. And and so you're just kind of like, well, I'm, I don't know, I guess it's just going to happen or somehow I'll figure it out. And I think the second vow that that's coupled with this one 
a few years ago, I was in a quiet time, and I hadn't even thought about this for a long time, but when my mom started um, dating who would eventually become my stepdad, there was an incident where I came home, and they, we were all home, and I went out for a little bit, and uh, I came back, and the door was locked. And I remember just sitting outside. My door was never locked. And I just mm-hmm. remember sitting outside and just thinking to myself, like, okay, I, I really am on my own. Mm-hmm. And in that yeah. moment, I made that vow. And that yeah. was, it wasn't like I was like, I'm vowing today that I am on my own. But right. in that moment, I had this kind of like um, double whammy. The Jewish scripture says like in the witness of two or three witnesses, let it be established. And it was almost like that second witness established it in my mind of, okay, I'm on my own. Yeah. Now I think there's two responses to abandonment that are two major responses. And number one is like, um, Oh me, like, Oh my gosh. And the other one is like, I am going to have to, or it's not, oh, me, it's it's up to me. Yeah. That would be the other response. Like, it's up to me to do this. So you have one of two responses. One, if it's an oh, me response, it's a victim response. It's kind of like, you don't even try. Right. You're not even engaged. But for me, I think I had, I switched into the it's up to me response, which is, okay, I if I'm going to do this, if it's going to happen in my life, it's going to be because of me. Right. If I'm going to be successful or if I'm going to do whatever, it's up to me. And so I, um, I switched into that yeah, mode Yeah. and both of them are godless yeah. because one of them is like, why even try? And instead of saying, okay, God, I need your help. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't have the strength, but I need your help. The other yeah. one says, well, I'm going to just do this thing. And you kind of push that there's a loving, engaged, amazing God that wants to be involved in your life out of your life. So I kind of chose that vow. I'm abandoned. And my response to that vow of I'm on my own, it's up to me, Mm. is I've got to do this. I've got to make this happen. And if it doesn't happen, if I don't do it, it's not going to happen. And so through that moment where I was in journaling and praying with the Lord, I had to begin to just make a choice to renounce the agreement that was being showed to me. Mm. Here's an agreement that's a godless agreement that says I'm abandoned Mm -hmm. and I'm on my own Mm -hmm. and I have to make it happen. When in reality, God says, I never leave you nor forsake right. you. Right. Oh, uh, yes, he you does know, say that. that you so know, beautiful. at the David, he he was talking in the Psalms and said, you know, even at the moment when I was born, you were there. Yeah. And so there's this opportunity to take an agreement or an inner vow and to renounce it or to say I don't want that in my life yeah. and to choose to believe and to make a vow or to sign a contract yeah. with something else that's truer and realer. Yeah. Yep. And you know, as as a you know law school graduate, of course, my brain automatically goes to contractual things. And as a you know a history poli sci, um, you know bachelor degree earner, and that my brain kind of thinks historically, politically, and legally. Right. Um, 
I, I, I'm just brought back to this moment, um, to the Emancipation Proclamation. And, and many of us, we live um, like slaves. Right. Uh, the Bible uses that we're slave to sin. And, and in our country, in the United States, um, you know, Lincoln proclaimed the Emancipation Proclamation that said slavery is abolished in the United right. States of America. Praise God, he did. Yeah, yeah. I love Lincoln. I named my... We named our, <laughs> we first named son, our son Lincoln uh, after after him, and um, what what he did is he said, "Okay, well it's it's illegal, but if slaves wanted to live in slavery, they could continue on if they wanted to, even though the law had been changed." Mm-hmm. Um, but the kind of the cool thing is is that because the law of the land had changed, at any point when somebody would want to say, "Hey," I don't want to live like this. Even if they signed a contract with that person to say, hey, I'm an, endur- an indentured servanthood right. or whatever for this amount of time or whatever, because all of that had been abolished through the Emancipation Proclamation, that anytime they could call the authorities and say, hey, I want out of this, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be a legal contract, and the authorities would come and, and enter in and, and right. break that Love up. Love it, yep. And in the same context, the proclam- the Emancipation Proclamation happened spiritually for us when Jesus died and he shed his blood on the beautiful, cross. Beautiful, beautiful. And when he was resurrected, he, we as humanity were resurrected with this Christ who paid the price for our sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer um, under that law. He right. ransomed us. He right. He paid a price for us. He was sinless and he died and paid the price for our sin. And so the law of the spiritual land has changed. Right. And so you may be enslaved in an internal vow that you have, but you don't have to continue in that internal vow. You can at any moment say, I want out of this contract that I've made. Authorities come and help me and all heaven and his angels set you free and you can choose to say, I am choosing to line up my life with what the law is and what Jesus did and to to be emancipated and to walk in freedom. Then you don't have to walk into the slavery or in those vows that you made earlier on. Yeah, love that so much. So, so powerful concept. What Jesus did for us is um, so amazing and that we no longer have to walk in emotional and, right. and spiritual bondage anymore. We can be totally set free. And so here's, here's the work and here's what we have to do. When those moments come up in our mind. yeah. yeah. We have to begin to allow that to come to our, our hearts and yep. our mind. What Like for me, it was that moment of being locked outside. Yeah. It was a moment, it was painful, but you know, it's not like the end of the world. It wasn't like I was, you know, tortured or abused or whatever. <laughs> it was just this moment. But in that moment, it was a shifting of a new, new relationship, right. a new man, sure. all of this stuff, setting new guidelines. And then there was me who makes, makes this agreement in the midst of that. And so what I had to do in that moment was to say, okay, God, I renounce that I am abandoned, that I am alone, that I am doing this on my own. And so I break that agreement. Yeah, you break Uh, that yoke. All heaven, I need you. Yep, I I need you to help me. And I decided to make 
a new contract with what the word of the Bible yeah. said, yeah. what Jesus said, that he would never leave me nor forsake yeah. me. And I love what the scripture says about um, he will restore what the locusts have destroyed or eaten, right? Mm-hmm. To me, that's so beautiful because I think sometimes we can head down these trails of agreements that we've made that have taken us so far off course. But I think it's important to remember that God has the power to restore what the locusts have destroyed or what they have eaten. He has the power to restore time. Mm -hmm. He has the power in one breath, in one miracle, to restore the time that you have lost mm-hmm. on this path yeah. of agreement that you've made. Yeah, it's so cool. Jesus is the Lord of space and time. Yeah. Um, what would have taken 30 years to make wine that was amazing, Jesus did in 30 seconds, his first miracle, you know, cheers when his mom that. was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, cheers. And um, or, or how about the fish and loaves, right? Yeah. What would have taken months to prepare all of that or weeks to prepare all of that food and to catch all those fish um, was multiplied. And so, I, I think, too, it's important to remember that he will never waste your pain. Like, and I love that so much. I see it so much as an investment. That sometimes God takes us on journeys for an intention and a purpose. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when you think about our kids. Sometimes you have to let them learn the hard way. Mm-hmm. And it may take them a month or two months or a year longer to get the lesson. But they learn the lesson. And you know that there's an intention behind the mistakes you're allowing them to make. And I think that's so important. God will never waste our pain There's an intention behind all of that that he's doing. So here's my question. When you make an inner vow, we make all these inner vows, right? And it doesn't necessarily have to be, maybe it's something that happened in our childhood, but maybe it's something that happened at work. Maybe it's something that happened in um, a church situation. Maybe it's something that happened, I don't know, in a marriage or a friendship, And you make these inner vows, these inner vows of rejection, of insecurity, of brokenness. How do you get yourself out of that? How do you undo the vow that you're walking in? Yeah, that's why I think every single person listening to this needs to probably call Sharon and get an appointment (laughs) with her or, you know, find a counselor. That's amazing. Yeah. Super powerful. I I mean, a lot of us, we, we've never even had the opportunity to process through things like this. Like how do I even begin to like figure out what and where my inner vows are? Yeah. But a a really great experienced trained counselor can help you do that. They sure can. They can identify like I think about Sharon, I've been in counseling for a little over a year with Sharon, and she has this way of identifying the issue, and I can't even see it. It's amazing. It literally is like, um, you know those those trick images where you see all of these different images in one image, right? Is it the old woman or is it the young woman? You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, totally know. The, like, uh, it's like an ink blot, <laughs> but it looks like an old woman and a young woman. Right. And you, your perspective allows you to see what the young woman, the old woman, but it's an out, is it an hourglass or is it two, you know, people looking at each other, right? Yeah. Um, 
Sharon has this ability to immediately point out a different perspective that you didn't see. So I look at the image and I'm always seeing the old woman. And I have this appointment with Sharon and she immediately identifies the young woman with the pearl around her neck, right? You yeah. know that image yeah. in art school? Yeah, it's um, in art school. It's also in uh, Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly yes, Effective it is. People. So if you have an old copy of that, just yeah. open it up and see it for yourself. It's so true. So Sharon has this way of immediately identifying something in my life that I didn't see before. I pictured the perspective of the older woman and she takes the same image and identifies the younger woman in my life or the different perspective in my life of, oh my gosh, you're totally right, Sharon. That's why I feel that way. Wow, you're totally right. Now I know how to do my work more focused. Yeah. Um, for for me, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a, I'm a Christian. So I know there are people who listen to us who aren't Jesus followers or, you know, wouldn't say they're, they're quite on that path or they're, they're, they're spiritual or they're find themselves somewhere in that category. Um, as a Jesus follower, you know, I just kind of go with, you know, anyone who can predict their own death and resurrection and then actually do it, you know, I just kind of go with that person, right? Yeah. I just kind of, I'm like, okay, whatever you say goes. So Jesus, he's in the wilderness and he says he has the three temptations that come to him, he tells his followers. And it was Satan who was tempting him. Jesus, um, we see time and time again that he's casting out demons. So, there's this force, there's this resistance, there's this internal fight that goes on. And Jesus kind of gives us this insight that it's just not a random, it's just not our own men, men, mentality, which it is often we're our own worst enemy tons yeah. of times. But he's actually giving us insight and saying, hey, no, this is a personality. It's just not a phenomenon. It's just not something that happens. No, there is a force that would seek to keep you from being more enlightened, more destroy. aware. Yeah, yeah. Tempt you, keep get you in a lower way of living, all of those things. Keep you from your authentic self, all of those things. So for me, every day I have opportunities to make vows. I don't know if you listen, ever listen to yourself, but first thing in the morning, I constantly have these things like today's, today's, today's going to be a rough one. Or I don't know how today's going to go. All of these little things where I can make an agreement with that thought and say, yeah, today's going to be a rough day. I, I bet it yeah. is. And guess what's going to happen? It's going to be the a chances rough day. Are Self-fulfilling that, prophecy. Yeah, yeah. So we have all, every single day of our life, we have opportunities. And th- there is, uh, I go with Jesus on this, there is an enemy that would want to try to get us to make all of these different vows every single day of our life. And so we, if we don't put that into the equation of our life, I think we're just really disappointed. And I think that we begin to actually move away from God, which is what the enemy would want to do. Sure. Most of us, we live our life in this equation. Like, I want to have a happy little life. Yeah. So if God is good, and if I am good, then that should equal a happy little life. Right. But you're not even putting Satan or the enemy into the equation. And so what you end up doing when you're like, okay, God is good. He's got these rules. I'm following these rules and now I I am being good. And then we look at our life and it's not a happy little life. 
Right. And so we're, we're, we're like, well, that's kind of a sham. Like, God, where are you? Who are you? I, I don't even trust you. And so you may not say that in your mind, but, but there's some distance that have been put between you and God, which in that case, you're in a better place to begin to make these small, subtle agreements. And guess what? Your closeness with God, the ability that Jesus really wants to come in and do heart surgery on you, right. not just one time when you say a prayer, and, but when you're constantly... Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think, too... As we wrap this up, I think remembering he is your source too. You know, I think remembering that he's your source. He's your everything. He's, He's your validation. He's your approval. He's your closest companion. He's your father. You know, he's everything that you've longed for in an earthly figure in Christ. And so I think it's important as you talk about these inner vows and process these inner vows and do your work, I think it's important to remember he's everything you need. You know, we so oftentimes look for that missing puzzle piece in our life, in our spouse, in our kids, in our identity, in our work role, whatever it is, these outside sources, these outside um, ramifications, right? Like, But the truth is, if we will just seek him and seek his kingdom first, all these things shall be added unto us. And so whatever that inner vow is, whatever that missing component is in our lives, at the end of the day, he's our source. And so people may come and go in your life, but he's your constant. He's your steady. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. As far as the east is from the west, right? They never meet. They never connect. So his love is for you. Like he knows every head on your, every hair on your head. Like his thoughts about you outnumber the sand on the sea. Really, he's everything you need, you know? And I just want to, contractually speaking, you just need to renounce the old agreement with the word of that came to your mind. And you need to find something in in the scripture, something Jesus said, and he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake yeah, you. Yeah, love that so and much. And then you I choose to make a contract and you say, okay, Jesus, okay, God, I'm making a contract with you. I'm choosing to believe greater is he who's in me than he who's in this world. If God is for me, who can be against me? I am the head, not the tail. I'm above <laughs> and not beneath. Yep. I'm an heir, co-heir with Christ. Um, and, and we begin to we begin to make a contract with that word. And what that does is that breaks the old agreement and it forms a new agreement with his word and with him. You know, Mm -hmm. I love that. So take some time. (laughs) Do your work. Do your work. We're doing it right there with you. We're doing our work alongside you guys. So It's not not easy. What agreement have you made? And have yeah. you made any agreements that you need to break? Sometimes they'll come to you like this. You have an idea that you want to do. And then what you'll hear in your mind is, ah, I don't know if I'm smart enough to do that. Yeah. I don't know if I'm qualified to do that. You have a choice whether you're going to choose to go with that. Or I don't know if I'm beautiful enough. Or I don't know if I... Smart enough, yeah. worthy enough, good enough, powerful enough. Whatever that is. And if you make an agreement... 
in those moments, or if you have made that agreement, which we all do, we just go back and say, you know what, that contract is void. It's not even the real spiritual law of the land. I'm choosing to make a contract with, you know, I have the mind of Christ, yeah. you know, whatever it is to replace and to say, that's what I'm holding on to Totally. instead. Thank you guys for tuning in uh, to Messy Life Podcast, and we hope that this gives you tools for your journey. We're um, just so thankful for you guys, thankful for tuning in, for listening, for being on this journey with us. We love you, and we will see you on our eighth episode of Messy Life Podcast. We've created this podcast because we love helping people along their journeys. Beyond the podcast, you'll find us coaching folks through their messy moments. We do this online or on site for individuals, couples, and organizational leaders. So if you'd like to talk to one or both of us, you can head over to joeljohnson.org or you can get in touch with us through social media. Also, if you like the show, head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review. And you can share it with your friends. If you'd like a copy of the show notes for today's episode, you can head over to joeljohnson.org slash podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to Messy Life Podcast.